you ever feel like this year, 2020, there's just so much going on? Like, more than it feels like we can handle sometimes. But I can tell you that humans have endured many things throughout the ages, and we will endure this. But it does bring to mind a lot of different ideas and topics that can be discussed. I, for one, uh, can't wait for all of the documentaries and series related to this year alone. I imagine there's many creative people out there working on those things and telling various stories of 2020. Today's guest on Dr. D's Social Network is Brandy Sanders, and Brandy and I have an interesting conversation related to how we see ourselves as human beings, extremism, uh, discussing what it's like to be alone with yourself and the person who you are when you're alone, being your true self, hyper-documentation of our lives online, and so much more, jam-packed with so much information. Enjoy the conversation I had with Brandy Sanders. Of, most of everything else. Oh my goodness. Well, how was life for you? How's it treating you right now? I think it's going to be, it's an exceptional year. And I, I think in 2020, it's like a quick, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, uh, a trick question. Yeah. <laughs> like, how are you doing? Great question. Oh, let's open the debate for everyone. Let's open, well, let's open the debate. How was, how has your view been from this, this incredibly strange journey of this year. Yeah, I think it's actually been uh humanizing. I feel like it's been mm. it's been humanizing for sure. Like I just it's a, if there was ever a year to feel equally parts uh, connected as people and then equally parts isolated, like this is it. Like this I think is you're right. That this is that year. Yeah. This is that year. How's it affected you really on a personal level so far? I, I feel like I have obviously like folks in my in my life in here. Hold on one second. Let me just I'm going to silence my phone very quickly and let me know when you're ready to oh, or we're how going. for I don't know. We're going. Oh, are we? OK, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. we're going. Well, this is the best part is all the, uh, the uh, just the weird chatter, you know. Oh, good. Okay, great. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, on my end, like I definitely, I have obviously people in my life directly impacted by, by COVID in one way or another. And I feel like, so it's like, there are a couple of different camps in 2020. Um, mm -hmm. the, the camp of this is make believe and it's, it's a fairy tale to skewer an election, right. To, right. It's like me, it's like made up. Well, I think that's a fascinating thing I'd like to pass along to the you know 200,000 plus Americans yeah. who are dead from it. Uh, I'm sure they'd love to read the chapter on how it's just the flu. Um, but I, so there's that camp and then there's the other camp, which is just like chicken little. Um, but comparatively to other uh, human events and the actual long-term history, it's, um, minimized compared to most of those things. Um, and then the current one, which is the middle, which is like, well, this is exceptional and it's crazy. And 
paradigm shifting and economically impactful and mentally health impactful and emotionally impactful because you're in probably the most marked isolation of my particular generation anyway. Um, yeah, despite that, that social media connectivity and other things like that, it's certainly, it's an, it's an exceptional time. Like, I don't know that there's any one thing that you can turn back and say, Hey, that's definitely how we feel about, um, (laughs) our mental health in 2020 Mm -hmm. or, or how we feel about society in, in general in 2020. So, but I think it's, it's an exceptional time. It's kind of like the disruption is, there's no no uh, particular uh, area that's immune to disruption from this. Right. Have you found, like, in your observation think, that you've seen people? Yeah, you, you know what? That's okay. We're we're up for other guests. It's fine. <laughs> I was like, welcome to 2020. Get humanized, people. <laughs> yeah, your kids will be Get on human. the show sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm like sorry, but uh, the podcast studio is closed due to COVID. So welcome to uh, welcome to the living room. Um, yeah, right, no, right. I. Yeah, I was going to say in your observation, saying? have you seen that more people are? Well, I mean, all you could see is really from your point of view that mm-hmm. there's more extremists on mm-hmm. either side or the center. What's been your observation of that? So outside of like, I think anecdotal. Um, personal bias stuff. Like I think that, mm-hmm. you know, in ge- something worth mentioning is prior to the pandemic, like most countries are spending less than like 2% of their national health budgets on mental health. Um, and we're not an exception to that. Per- I'm being biased to like the American view, um, particularly just Western American. <laughs> like, we're talking about like just Westernized yeah. medicine. Um, so I think that that's, that's one thing to mention as a precursor to um, everything is... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Amplified. So when you have economic disruption and people who have like pre-existing mental, neurological, substance abuse, depression, all of that, um, those people are more vulnerable to the isolation that comes from like so SARS and, and COVID-2 and COVID-19 uh, versus, you know, severe outcomes like, you know, death, depression, re-triggered substance abuse. Like, when you stand back and you look at that, like that's just that one domino that tipped over. Right. And I think that anyone who's saying they don't see that is, has an exceptional pair of blinders on um, because there's already statistical data to, to support that. And then from the human perspective, I really don't know anyone who's like, yeah, this is just totally okay. (laughs) It's totally okay that we haven't seen other people in eight months or if they are seeing other people, it's totally okay. You know, that they're, you know, not acknowledging the risks, the inherent risks, uh, and sometimes lack of empathy for other people by taking those actions. Most definitely. But I mean, there's been major disruptions, like economic, mental, emotional. What's the, what is the recovery for these things in your mind and to maybe get us in a better situation? I mean, I think so... (laughs) First off, I would say recovery is like, what a great idea. Uh, but I don't know. It's hard <laughs> in the middle of a car wreck to think about what rehab, yeah. to think about what rehab looks like. Like, uh, I can't really think yeah. about the steps I have to take to cross the room because I'm still getting cut out of the jaws of life. <laughs> like, yeah, you're right in the thick of it, right? Car yeah. wreck. <laughs> right. It's like, how do you even, how do you even look that far forward? Because um, I mean, we've had, 
so many, if you, if you just look just at COVID in general, just from like the mental health services perspective, it's like the most vulnerable populations. And I feel like this is with anything, not just pandemic notwithstanding, but even prior to COVID, you have vulnerable populations like children, adolescents, older adults, um, Mm -hmm. women who would need like, you know, anti-needle or post-needle services. Like it's like over 60 to 70% disruption there. Um, And those are critical. Those are critical mental health services that weren't even doing a good job before. So when we, when, and I'm just taking this from like a mental health and and data perspective of of viewing COVID, when we talk about like recovery, air quotes in the air, recovery, I mean, first off, we'd have to come to terms with like a large percentage of the American population um, that gets the most news time, I should say, (laughs) depending Mm -hmm. upon which cycle you're watching, um, is coming into it with... um, kind of some biases on uh, the uh, the accuracy of science and then also just in general literacy around things like data. And so um, when you have a, a and I'm not going to get into it because I just don't feel like like having to go through the blocking and the, and the hate mail, but when you get into it, there are certain uh, levers in, in the administration or um, leadership right now that they're not viewing science with the same amount of um, actual, actual scientific literacy, uh, versus like opinions on something. And so I think that's, Mm. that's when you can't even like talk about recovery and you can't talk about like the future of critical mental health services or the data that would suggest that we have some issues with how we're treating these things prior to even prior to COVID, uh, until you would say, um, scientific method exists for a reason. Data is compiled, collated and reported on for a reason. And so we have to kind of accept that the emperor has no clothes right now. And that, um, before we can talk about recovery, we have to talk about level setting and changing that perspective during the pandemic and beyond, because what, you know, world leaders, even outside the U.S., would have to move very quickly and decisively to invest in life-saving mental health programs. Um, and that's pre, during, and post, particularly post, because we've had, you know, what, three over, I think it was like a who and please just save the hate mail for later if you don't like the who or whatever. But um, uh, three quarters of the recent respondents, they talked about, uh, there was a great survey they did for um, disruptions to school, workplace, mental health services. It was like, I think 75% said there was a a disruption caused. So people who were getting support, which the support in and of itself, the quality of that is definitely open to debate, particularly in America. Um, but that's that's huge. Those are impactful numbers. So when we talk about recovery, I mean, obviously, we'd have to find tactical ways to deal with this. And you'd have to have a peoples who believe in science and understand masks have value and understand that what we have in front of us uh, is united, you know, I'm not going to get it. I don't want to get too deep into it because I just I don't feel like every time I bring up data, it gets it gets, you know, hogwashed. But I feel like it's really? like United, who? United. We, uh, well, I mean, that's open to debate. People who maybe don't believe in science. Maybe they believe why? the earth is I mean, flat or that this is oh, this well, is the okay. flu. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, for the same reason, my two year old doesn't like to wipe her ass when she goes to the potty. So, <laughs> I mean, it's because that's. It's that it's a personal bias that blocks your ability to see reality. I mean, I'd love to fit into the genes I had from college, but I don't have that <laughs> that disassociation with facts. You know, I live very much in a factual <laughs> environment. I'm like, yeah, I'd like to not have creepy next skin, but guess what? Um, that's the facts. So I just I feel like, you know, facts matter. Um, so we'd have to fix that. We'd have to become a nation that puts science before gut check, feel felt, found in emotions. Um, which is huge. And that ties back to public 
education and a lot of other different things in regards to how we we handle the media and news. But that's that's a whole there's a whole different bowl of fish hooks, and you try to take one fish hook out, and it's connected to six of the fish fish hooks, right? Um, uh, yeah. But when we talk about recovery, I mean first and foremost, we'd have to address the facts. We'd have to have people willing to come together and and kind of level set on that and agree on that, which is totally not happening in this current uh, situation that we have. Maybe it will in 2021. I guess that's really up to the voters. Um, and then you'd have to say, okay, so like pre, we knew that there were existing problems and post, there's going to be some uh, economic, financial, emotional, and physical PTSD in the sense of like you're reeling from an emergency, essentially a, a car crash of sorts, right? So you'd have to, you'd have to take, you'd have to level set that and let the people who's entire careers are based off of how to best handle that, handle the reins, as opposed to maybe someone else that you put in that role because they were friends with you at the country club. Right. So I think that's their first step. Now, yep. is there, but is there a way, I, I know I'm going to back into this and I know you're, you're like, I don't want to go too deep in this, but is there a way that, you know, feelings and um, trusting instincts mm-hmm. and science can coexist together in your mind? I think there's certainly a value to human intuition, but the the problem with gut check and feel felt found in I think and I feel and all of that is that um, when it comes to something like a contagious disease, is that you can't, those two things can't exist next to each other. So like, I would prefer that we are not in a pandemic. I do not like the way I feel when I see people dying of COVID. I do not... I feel negatively when I see people not wearing masks. It makes me angry. That's an emotion, right? The only thing that prevents that from becoming my only perspective is by leaning against science and data to say, okay, so I have statistical empirical facts in front of me that tell me that if we take XYZ actions, we know that it makes a difference. So I think that that's that's huge. Right. It should be huge. Like as an example, like do do we yes, do we do we not wear seatbelts because I don't like the way they make me feel? No. Hopefully not. And if you are, I encourage you to not do that anymore. <laughs> I but encourage like, you to we, wear a seatbelt. Yes, please wear a seatbelt. Please, please do these things. Um, yeah. So I think that that's, that's an, a, a very easy to understand, stand, like very simple, easy to understand example. I think people can conf- conflate and confuse emotion and rights and, and all of these other things um, with each other. And I think it's important that when it comes to pande- pandemic, specifically for a pandemic or a contagious disease or any kind of thing that has a greater impact than your direct circle of people, the minute you open your mouth and exhale, um, you know, exhale and inhale and you're talking is that you you have to understand that 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 has impacts like you have an impact. And I think a lot of people still fancy themselves to be a bit of lone wolf, which is really mm. funny in a global economy because it doesn't exist. No yeah. one man is an island. No one man is an island. I'm sorry. Unless you're literally yeah. throwing it out in the woods. And even then you're truly, truly not alone. I mean, if you've got the deep bunker and you've got your 25 year MREs and you're okay being underground, living in darkness for the next 10 years, then I applaud you because like, first off, those are expensive. And I think that's amazing. And I'm all about that. Like if we could all live that life, hell yeah, this would be so much easier. But the reality of it is, is that we are very much connected, whether or not you like your fellow brother or not, whether or not you agree with your political positions, you're still both inhaling and exhaling oxygen and CO2. So like these things are scientific facts that are not up for debate. 
they're not up for debate. And so when we look at things like all, even the preliminary data that's coming in, because you're usually, you know, five to 10 years out before you truly understand how something operates at that kind of um, medical level, right? It's like all of these different things, they're, they're measurable to us with preliminary data. So you have to put your, you have, do have to put trust in that. And I mean, you can't, your emotions can't stop you from doing something that may or may not take a human life, right? And I'm not talking about like, hey, I have a gun and I'm going to shoot you. Like I'm talking about something as simple as as putting a mask on. Like that shouldn't be up for debate. It really shouldn't. And I think if it is up for debate, you need to have a serious conversation with whatever it is that you look to, your maker, your yoga, your Christianity, your anything, and, and reconcile the fact that you cannot be that person of faith and not wear a mask. You can't. You cannot claim to be a good person and not wear a mask. These these emotions that get in the way of science, these emotions that step in front of logic are the same type of emotions that cause the running buffalo to get eaten by the lion because they're standing there freaking out with emotions instead of doing what's instinctually like preserving us as a group, preserve us, help us live, help us go forward. Like you, you have to set those aside and say, for the greater good, we must do that. Like this is necessary. United we stand, divided we fall. And if we were ever divided, I mean, by data, by emotion, by politics, by rhetoric, like this is the time for that. So I think that um, emotions have their place, intuition has their place, um, instinct has a place, but that place is oh, not definitely. in a petri dish in a lab. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it was I I connect with a lot of things that you're saying. I think I also connect with both sides of those things. But I I wonder, do you think that? Sometimes people have a hard time coming off of just emotion-based decision-making mm, mm, because they're mm. part of that, because it they would think differently than the community that they're part of. Let's say like, let's say for instance, like flat earthers, right? I think it's crazy. I think it's pretty ridiculous. But yeah. I also think that people, if they, if somebody is in that and they think differently, they may feel they're going to get ostracized or shunned from the group. You oh, think yes, that's of course. what's causing a lot, some of these denial of factual things related to epidemiology and all those things? I think that what's really interesting is that when you, when you look at like the psychology of human behavior, denialism, which is a thing. It's a person's choice to deny reality as a way to avoid a psychologically uncomfortable truth. Mm. And it's essentially at the base of it, it's an irrational action that withholds the validation of a historical experience or event when a person refuses to accept an empirically verifiable reality. Mm -hmm. Right? So humans are hardwired to dismiss dismiss facts that don't like fit their their mindset. It's like it's, it's part of our hardwire, right? It's just a part of it. It's like... There was a really great, I'm trying to remember the the article off the top of my head. I know that there was a Mayo Clinic study done on it. And then there was another great um, book. I think it's called The Truth About Denial that was talking about human tendencies mm. and, you know, all kinds of different facts about the physical world, economic facts, emotional, political facts. Like, again, if there was ever a year, we're really getting all of the big <laughs> swingers in one we year. Are. It's incredible. Like. If you said, could you, I mean, if this were, if this were a sitcom or like a show, they would literally have been like, we're canceling it. Uh, around murder hornets. I think we probably would have canceled the season at murder hornets because it's like, there's too many plots. Like you've yeah. got to stop. There's too much going on. Um, but that it's the psychological of, of hum- it's literally the psychology of human behavior. And, and it's, it's how you, you know, in the sciences, like it's like denialism is the rejection of basic facts and concepts that these are undisputed and they're well-supported parts of 
you know, scientific consensus. Um, and, and they, they can go into those kind of like radical and controversial groups or these subsects of society because it's, you know, it's the motivations for that is really just, I mean, self-interest, economic, political, financial, but it's also a defense mechanism meant to protect their psyche against something that would be disturbing to them. So uh, the idea that like we're a, a, an object floating in space, you know, and, and we're going around the sun and we are alone in the universe right now, that's some serious shit. Right. That's crazy. And if you don't have a, a God to lean against or uh, a faith to look to or a rooted part of your spiritual awareness or your sentient being, it's a terrifying bleakness a universe of nothing where it's only us screaming into the fucking void. Pardon me for, but this oh, is it. Whatever. We're going to, we're going yeah. to, we're going to trip right into it. But like, that is a terrifying thought, you know? So it's like, these are defense mechanisms meant to protect the psyche of the denialist against mentally disturbing facts and ideas. You know, I mean, it's empirical observations that reality and truth are being denied. And so the other thing is that you can have those ideological groups come together. And so, they feel like they're, you know, the rebels or the people who are speaking, the truth speakers, right? You know, they're going to recourse to, to, you know, pseudoscience as evidence. And I think that, you know, to do that is to create like a cluster. And I mean, you really have, you have things like Holocaust deniers and AIDS deniers and like all kinds of different deniers mm-hmm. that are kind of like tiny little subsects. But the great thing about those groups is, and I say great with air quotes there, is that their their dynamics are niche to themselves. So they become powerful, like tiny little, tiny little um, superpower, super users. You know, if you were like an app developer and you had like your five people that are in the app every day, using the app every day, you'd say, okay, those are like your chief personas. Those are the users that are like your, your, your chief people in the, in the application, the platform or, or the, or the tool. Right. So like they don't, there's no historical evidence that makes their argument arguments more plausible and. You know, they dismiss data or observation by suggesting opponents are involved in conspiracies to suppress the truth. And don't get me wrong, like there are definitely times in history where you're like, hey, that was some shady business you did back there. Um, Particularly, unfortunately, with medicine and stuff, there have been some instances, notably fact-based instances, where they have been, you know, targeting certain demographics or certain sects of population that are more vulnerable, Um and 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 have been used to the ill will of, of of big big medicine big pharma governmental whatever um so that that does exist but you have to be careful because the commonalities of those groups is that they they cherry pick it right so it's just like they're cherry picking information to to position the argument and they have false experts like you know they're pseudoscience experts and and then they also move the goalpost right so they dismiss evidence presented in a response to that claim by continually demanding some other often unfulfillable piece of evidence so you know what i mean and i think that there's like you know logical fallacies there too like an appeal to consequences the straw man the red herring all those different things but you you get those groups together and they become an echo chamber right and it's what's really crazy is is that again a lot of this can be tied to ideological deals or or faith ideals but Humility is a cornerstone to many ideals and humility and the ability to say, like, I'm a sentient being over the age of 18. So I'm an adult. I can compute information and and kind of share it back out into the atmosphere that I am like that kind of it matters. Right. 
Because if you do not have the ability to change your perspective on something when presented with empirical or statistical evidence, or you avoid it or try to delegitimize it or limit disruptive that disruptive information, then you've kind of framed your world in a in a in a a realm that cannot change. And to not change is to ignore a basic tenet of being human, which is agility and adapt adaptation, right? So like if you think of how we handle things in our in our prehistoric world, it's like scatter, adapt, and remember, right? And so when we are presented with these new things, like it's important to to sit there and say like, hey, you know, like denialism for coronavirus, you know, when you look at the reality of, of COVID-19 in a pandemic, like you, you can't deny that these deaths are happening in the proportions that are being fulfilled globally. It's not just like it's like in Aunt Tina's or your drunk uncle's backyard and you heard it once and it's anecdotal. There are bodies being put in graves by the hundreds of thousands globally and including in the US in New York City. Certainly. Yeah. So Certainly. I mean there's only so far you can stretch that ideology to support the fanaticism until yeah. you're well, do you looking at 200,000 tombstones that there's been a a great increase in the kind of the megaphone of extremism groups and things of like that because of the internet or media um what's your take on that? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that it's it's tricky to it's tricky to try to come into it because there's there's no single reason that's universal for why people become extremists, right? Um, or violent extremists, which with you know certain certain subgroups right now that are getting a lot of <laughs> amplification, right? Um, right. That's the reality, and I I never thought I'd live to see that in America, but maybe that's my own naivete. That's what I get for having my personal biased blinders on. Um, but I feel like you know, there's not one singular explanation, but social media certainly amplifies that. And I think that most often this happens when someone is trying to like feel a deep personal need, right? They don't have a lack of meaning or purpose in life, and and the irony of all of this is that this actually ties back to the idea that we're talking about faith at the beginning of this, and mental health. Those two elements, which no matter which uh, camp you're in, Baptist, Methodist, uh, Catholic, uh, Buddha, yoga, uh, the flying spaghetti monster, I don't care what camp you're in, having some kind of uh, cornerstone to look to, um, even if it's running your five-track mile in the morning and being physically fit and calling that the church of your body, like I think that's important. And it's far too often it's missing because sociologically we had some breaks over the past like, you know, 20, 30 years where those things fell off, they became less important. So you were, you were shoved into kind of like the, you know, the capitalist grind and we have all these expectations and the expectations have only risen and risen. You must be good looking. You must get a college education. You have to be a successful career. You also need to be a good mother. You better be a thought leader. You better be attractive, but not too attractive. You better be smart, but don't be too smart. You better be aggressive, but don't be too bossy. Don't be this, don't be that, but do be this. And then now we have a visual scoreboard like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, where we have literally uh, yes. like some, you know, the the dark the dark black mirror shit going on, and so we can now see us versus 
the other person who's sitting across from us and they have a they have a visual representation of being more of this. And so we took an already existing human insecurity, already existing poor mental health, already existing somewhat flawed system of of literally living and earning and kind of took the knife and just went for that first opening in the, the armor and and took it and turned it. And so I think when you have those psychological mechanisms happening, there's a dogmatic, irrational part of humans that are going to cling to that because there's they have an ideal of what their life should be. And unfortunately, now we have all these different kind of social avenues that tell us every day how we are or are not of value, what we should look like, what we should be doing. And I mean, marketing has existed back to the first caveman who probably had the better pelt, but that all of those different right. things, they matter because they impact mental health. And the problem is, is that there's a defense mechanism that comes to life that springs you into extremism where there's no one who understands me except Bob and Sally who think the earth are flat. Like there's no yeah. place for me in this world. Who do I belong to? And when you have that constant, no, I don't belong to anything, you will belong to anything. Even if it is at the, you know, the, the anatomy of terror, like what makes normal people become extreme, streamless, extremists besides like, you know, obviously the easy out for religious fanaticism, but even that has a reasoning behind it. Like, did you just get bombed by XYZ country and you see people, your people suffer and your woman who has zero value and the only value you will have is to strap this to your body and go out and kill infidels. If you can't understand the logic behind that, then you're not being human. You're lying to yourself. And the same way that like I'm I'm a middle class, like I came from a, a blue collar family first to, you know, go to college and all that stuff. So like lived in a trailer. I ate out of a trash can. Like I there's no like affluent, you know, background that I'm coming from that puts me in an elite perspective here. So like if I'm going and I'm looking at those folks who are still in the trailer park and have certain flags outside their house, like they're looking because they think this person aligns with their ideological, mm-hmm. they reverberate with them. And and that is the side effect of having a PT Barnum leader. Is it's like there's they're born every day yeah. and they're gonna believe whatever you say, even if you're pickpocketing them while you're talking to them. It's extraordinary and it's a dissonance. And like the only thing that I think changes that is one, that person's pulpit gets taken away, or two, the person catches a hand in their pocket and goes, Are you are you pickpocketing me? Are you, are you stealing, stealing from me? From me? Like, it's <laughs> yeah. The snake oil man. Like, you know, the snake oil man always gets driven out of town. I mean, how many Twilight episodes you got to watch before this rings true? You know, but you don't want to be wrong. No one wants to be wrong. And the problem is, is there are a lot of wrongs on both sides of the fence. P.S. I'm not like, yeah, that side's all right all the time. And this side's completely wrong all the time. And that, you know, like it's there's a there's a a middle ground there that somehow has vanished and even worse yet, it's been replaced with rhetoric over even the most basic engagement, even the most basic understanding or empathy and empathy and humility, the lack of those things on both sides. You can't look at that person and go, I don't understand how they're extremist. You take five seconds and go into the background story and you're going to be like, Oh shit. You get it. Well, now I understand because no one hears you. You lost your job you're dying um, in in the the wasteland of like I can't I can't make enough to get out and I'm stuck here and there's no and now the jobs are gone and like here's what's happening here and it's like I'm unfairly judged and everyone puts me in a bucket because I look this way so you think I am this thing so I will become the thing that you think that I am because you won't let me leave you know or worse yet just straight up hatred 
I mean, that's really easy and that's taught from a very young age. So yeah. there's that too. But I mean, there's, there's definitely not just one psychological mechanism that makes someone become radical. And that's on, that's on both sides of it. You keep pushing those buttons. Eventually the person is going to go postal. Right. Most definitely. Mental health matters. That's why I started with that data. I'm like, all of this comes back to mental health. Like you can't, you know, like we're constantly expected to be that, that ideal and it's just not attainable. Let's go with that in a sense, yeah. this ideal. And then you talked about what resonated this social media scorecard and even deeper, oh, yeah. this idea of being a thought leader. I see this constantly on people's profiles mm-hmm. or their thing. Uh-huh. I am a thought leader. I help people do this. Tell me a little bit about that, your take on it. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is, is that social media can be toxic. It's an echo chamber, right? So like, if you don't have boundaries about, you know, what you're posting when you're online and who you surround yourself in real life versus the virtual avatar version, I think that that is huge, right? So, <clears throat> excuse me for saying so, but uh, we are not our fucking Instagrams, my dudes. We are not our LinkedIn's. We are not our LinkedIn's. We are not our Instagram. We are not our fucking Twitters. You are not your Google, whatever the hell's. Like, it's great to have those things, particularly if you have a business that, like, you have to rank in these things. But be careful that your avatar doesn't have a greater value in your life than your actual life. Because that happens all the time. Like when you hyper document your life, first off, there are dangers in that that are inherent. Um, and we could definitely save that for a, <laughs> for, a, for a future notation. But when you, when you hyper document and you're trying to, to be the next, you know, uh, virtual version of, of the, whether it's a Kardashian idealism or, um, YouTuber idealism, or even LinkedIn, like I'm a thought leader. I do this, I do that. That's great to, to justify, legitimize and, and evangelize the work that you do, but be mindful. Like none of those people are going to be in the room when you are dying. Most likely they will not most likely be the people who would come jump your car when it dies at 2 a.m. They will not be the people who would be putting together your eulogy. They're not the people who would hold your hair back while you're vomiting. Who want to take the phone call when your dad dies. And you you have to be mindful of this. Like the the digital world, that realm is the highlight reel. It's one part. It's what you choose to show. It's the best that you can show. But it's not the depression. It's not the failure. It's not the constant battle. It's certainly not isolation in this pandemic. The the mental leaps and bounds you're doing at 2 and 3 a.m. where you're going, what am I doing with my life? Is this the right thing for me? Or you know, uh, am I in the right place? Did I do enough? Did I not do enough? What does the future fucking look like right now? What does it mean? Why am I here? What are we, what are any of us here for? Like barely any of that makes it through the cracks. And right now, crazily enough, TikTok is, is like a hundred times more authentic than that because you've got like literal counselors telling people what narcissistic and, uh, certain types of things are and making jokes about it, which is incredible because it's actually a really interesting slice of authenticity. I'm sure it'll get trampled out the same way Vine did. But um, I think that it's it's fascinating because you have to be mindful that that is not reality. No matter 
how many digital devices you're connected to. Uh, if you unplug them all and, and set them to the side, you are who you are alone with. And I think many people are afraid to be alone with themselves. That's why this Most whole COVID definitely. thing is just so, so fascinating because now we're, we're all trapped in our rooms and now you get to sit and you get to think. It's like time out. It's like <laughs> we've been grounded for a while. And have you ever seen someone react good to that? I mean, not really. Most teenagers slam the door. Uh, and in this case, the slamming of the door is I'm not wearing masks. I'm going out. Everything's fine, 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 fine. It's okay. We're not in trouble. We're not in the middle of a pandemic where hundreds of thousands of people are fucking dying. Karen, I'm going to Target. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the teenager. That's that emotion bypassing science. When you're grounded, you have to sit and fucking think. You have to think about what you've done to get to where you are. Why is this happening? What can we do? I'm afraid. Half of the time, people are afraid to say they're afraid because they get punished by it. Again, mental health, particularly in America. You can't you admit you're afraid? What are you, fucking pussy? You afraid? You can get it? You can get sick? You can die? Like, this is the fucking inner monologue for more people, I think, than, than we give ourselves credit for. It's like, well, I'm not afraid of that. Or, you know, it's, it's not going to happen to me. It can't happen to me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go outside. Everything's fine. So that kind of like dissonance, that inner monologue, it happens when you're alone. And we are very much isolated. Some of us are definitely paying the price by going out and, and as the recent headlines attest to, like taking that and doing the teenager rebellion and saying, me, 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 I matter more than you. Uh, the way I feel matters more than you. Fuck your grandma. I'm not wearing a mask. Yeah. What? Are you over the age of 18? Are you a sentient adult? You should be ashamed of yourself. Don't you dare say you're a person of faith. Don't you dare say you believe in doing good things for anyone if you can't take those simple things. And that's what isolation does. That's what being grounded during this thing does. It forces you to be alone with yourself. And do you know how many people haven't been alone with themselves since preteen years where they had to sit and think on the bus rides? or in the cafeteria, or in the hallways of their college, the only time that you really spent time being introspective about why you are the way you are and what you are. It's been years, decades for some people. And maybe they don't want to be there. It's an uncomfortable space to be in to say, who am I? Why am I this way? Why do I believe that? Was it because I was taught that? Do I really believe that? I don't have time to think about that right now. It makes me uncomfortable. It makes me feel things. I don't want to feel things. And we're a distractionary culture that completely sets mental health aside. We talk a good talk. We always say that shit, like reach out if you feel bad. You ever try to reach it out for real? It's hard. Most folks don't want to hear it because then it makes them feel things and we don't want to feel, we want to be as busy as hell, as distracted as hell so that we don't have to sit with the us in the room. And that silence has a value. The ability to be comfortable being uncomfortable and to truly fucking listen to yourself, not the TV, not Social media, not the voice of your dead parents. You, do you even know anymore who you are, why you're here, why you feel this way? Why are you so angry all the time? Why are you sad? Why are you the way that you are? Who made you this way? What happened to you to make you be this way? And I think those are like huge questions that literally form who people are. And quite often, it makes us extremely uncomfortable to think those thoughts. And when you are in isolation, you better believe they come creeping in. <laughs> you can play all the podcasts you want. You can put Spotify on all day. You can reorganize your pantry, honey. <laughs> you can label every pasta, clean the refrigerator shelves, and stay busy with virtual classes and work, 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 work. 
but there are the hours where you have to sit with yourself because you're not out there. And I think that that is tied inherently back to the passion behind this can't be happening. I'm going to ignore it. I'm going out there. I don't give a shit. And then also mental health, the expectations of what we should be doing, the FOMO, all of those different things, and then the virtual avatar versions. So what do you do when all the avatars are home? <laughs> you have to I reveal you. who you really are. <laughs> and I think that's fundamental. You, uh, you've thought about this clearly a little, just a little bit, Brandy. Mm. Just a little bit. Just a tiny bit. You know what, man? It's been nine bit. months, so I've had plenty yeah. of time. Well, it's bit. interesting and kind of going, uh, adding a little bit to that is I was reading something the other day. And this was obviously when the president uh, got COVID-19 and they interviewed a gentleman and he said, mm. it's, a ho- it's a hoax, it's a hoax. And uh, he said, it's this, they gave it to him. And just like the doctors gave it to me when I, my heart was beating too fast. And what was really striking for me was I got really choked up mm-hmm. when I read that because mm-hmm. I'm at the point where these things emotionally are very sad to me that Mm -hmm. humans are still behaving in this way, you know, from maybe it would have made me a little Mm -hmm. angry in the past, but now I feel this complete sense of like this poor person, this, he, he is holding on to some deeply seated issue and is denying so many things in his life. And now was in an article that a bunch of people are seeing. And if you have any real sense of how people behave, you know, what's going on Mm -hmm. there. And it's, and it's it's really sad to me. This I mean, can't be real. Really this can't be real. I mean, this can't be real. This yeah. can't be I, real. What's my right, reality? I mean, I've seen. No, no, that can't be true. Like, I don't know. Do you think that people were just like this can't be happening in various periods of of history where terrible shit was happening? Of course, that's how you live. That dissonance sometimes keeps you alive because you're like, well, the lion will eat that gazelle, not me, right? I can't. I can't get eaten, right? No, that's like not my destiny. That's not real. That that line's not real. I don't have time to run. I might die today. And I think that I I I think particularly just because I've I've always I've just always had so many events in my life that kind of keep mortality at like the forefront and um I just I it's probably on my mind. I'm sure there's a shrink somewhere that's like you're thinking about death too much, honey. Like you gotta lay off. Um, but I, I definitely I think that I I think about it and I acknowledge it because it's pre- it's present in the room at all times. And in our culture, particularly in American culture, we don't want to see the hospice. We don't want to see people gasping for air who can't breathe. I mean, I bet if you just ran like someone on a ventilator or someone whose O2 sats were dipping on the news for ten minutes, more people would wear masks. Show them yeah. what it is. Show them the face of this thing. Let them hear a death rattle. Show them what it looks like to say goodbye to someone on FaceTime. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, there was I a, totally a man who believed the virus was a, oh, yeah. He, a dude thought the virus was a hoax and he lost his wife to COVID-19. A couple yeah. from Florida not too long ago. I, I mean, tell you what, I have I've definitely seen all those things. I mean, I have seen mm-hmm. a person take their last breath that was close to me. I've been in the emergency room with my daughter when her O2 levels were dangerously low. I've, I've been in those environments. And, mm-hmm. you know, have, it's, it's an amazing thing that people, if they don't experience that or they haven't seen it, they don't believe it. And I just like, listen, these right. things are happening. They're, they're actually happening in all life. The time. Like all literally the time they every happen all second. The time. 
every second yes. that's happening. Just because it's not happening in your silo doesn't mean it's not happening. Right. Yeah. I think that that's kind of the crazy part is that there's a the disconnect with like it can't it just can't be it can't be me it can't be now and i mean it's it, i remember there was um god when was it it was back in july or august it's probably gone up since then but it was like we had a coronavirus death every minute every minute hmm. so i mean during the we've been here for 42 minutes 42 people have died 42 43 there's 43 43. I mean, it's, it's staggering. And we've objectified those those brothers, sisters, people to a lot of people. They're not people to them though. They're not people. Yeah. But it's so much easier to handle shit like that because if they're not people, they're things, which is a sociopathic, Mm -hmm. um, zealot state of being, which is nuts because it's really crazy that the, so there's a certain group of folks who, um, were very partial to the word zealotry and um, uh, fanaticism and like calling other groups that, you know, only a a few years ago based off of their like geographic location, like everyone over there is a zealot. Everyone over there is crazy. Like they're just their country first and that's it. And then you come back over here and you're like, oh, if I write down what you're saying versus what this other person in that other country is saying, and I put them side by side and I don't give you the the source, would you be able to tell what you're saying apart from them? And the answer is no. No. It's a dangerous state of being when the thing that you said that you disagreed with that's happening in other countries, their way of being, this the, the religious fanaticism, the um, ig- ignorance of... Uh, right or modernity or however you want to put it, this like anti-American way of looking at things suddenly repurposes itself and is back in your lap and you're actually taking the actions of your enemy. So it's, it's a, it's a crazy time when the hand of the oppressor is your own, (laughs) like you're choking yourself. Do you realize this? Like it's, it's incredible. And, but you know, you, if you objectify, if you make someone an object, it's easier to kill them. It's easier to not think about them. I mean, Nazi Germany existed for a reason. You think everyone was like, all right, Sally, we're going to kill you today. Like, no, you're a shoe. You're a box. You're an empty milk carton. You are an object and you will be removed because I have built a dissonance around me that protects me from being uncomfortable or feeling terrible, terrible feelings. And now I'm justifying this by taking these actions and demoting you to object over human because it makes it easier for me to do terrible things. And that happens so many times in history, it's shameful. And it, I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy to see it happening this year uh, because those are, you know, 200,000 some plus brothers, sisters, deacons, preachers, nurses, children, grandmothers, educators, physicians, door holders, trash takers, the rich, the poor, this thing indiscriminately, ruthlessly, efficiently kills. And I'm not saying, oh my God, it's just like 1918. No, baby, I'm not saying that at all. I know that it's different and it could be a hell of a lot worse. I mean, 2020, when I was right around the corner. So, you know, hold on to your fucking hats because maybe we'll get a taste of that. But what I'm saying is, is that it's, it's not as worse as it could be, but it's not good. And the dissonance that's arrived because of 
the the previous few years where we've had a chance to kind of see some roaches come out of the woodwork, I think are exceptional. These things, they amplify each other. It's like a perfect storm. You've got Tinder. You've got someone with a great big fat fucking zip Zippo over there. It's like the plasma Zippo even. It's like not going to go out no matter how much we blow on it with facts and data. And they're just lighting it. And there's gas every day that gets poured in by the clustered groups that have somehow now become acceptable to deal with. And I think that that's a crazy place to be. And as an outsider looking in, like if you speak to other people uh, outside of the United States, it's just kind of like a really interesting reckoning. We're like, wow, I never thought I'd see that there. I mean, maybe in a banana republic or an oligarchy or in this XYZ other country, but it's fascinating to see it happening here. And I mean, it's that book, like it can't happen here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you start, it gets like yeah. fairly dystopian when you really start to look at it, which is why we get dissonance and create the barriers for mental health. Cause when you really start to lift the hood up, you're like, that's a lot of roaches. I don't think one can of rate is going to get this done. Yeah, It's a paradigm shift that would have to happen and science and data and empathy for your fellow man as an equal would have to be at the forefront of that. And I don't know, historically, humankind has struggled with this concept. Everyone who asks for it gets killed. Yeah, that was actually going to lead to the next thing I was going to say, which is, do you have hope for the unification of all those things you just said? I mean, it's kind of hard for us to do, just historically speaking. I mean, yeah. do you see that ever happening? Oh, gosh. I mean, we're we're just such rotten little teenagers right now. Um. And we've had those periods of history where we've also been spoiled, spoiled little brats who've done terrible things to each other on this one little rock floating in a sunbeam, this pale blue dot. You know, we're just like out here in the universe and we're arguing over this rock. So much blood is spilt, so much hateful rhetoric. And um, I had always thought like, you know, short of aliens arriving and uniting us as humankind <laughs> that if something ever happened at this like this absolutely um, a catastrophically global level that it would actually it would bring people together. But I've seen more World War Z than I have Mr. Rogers. There's still some Mr. Rogers out there, though. Most you know, definitely. it's yeah. it's these two. It's the yin yang. Right. So it's like the two forces constantly pulling at each other. So there will always be the the rhetoric, the violence, the anti-science, the all of those things. And then on the other side, people who have empathy, people who choose to build instead of tear down and who will try to enable better versions of, of those, of people in general, of, of humankind in general, the people who are always like, we can do better than this. And then, so I think, I don't know that there's ever necessarily like a nirvana where we like ascend into, yay, we treat everybody good. And, you know, there's no, no roach. <laughs> I don't know the world would be entirely roach free, but I would only hope that the future would be maybe a couple more cans of Raid and <laughs> a good broom. Um, but I mean, some things are better than they've ever been. And then some things have remained frighteningly the same. And most of that is tied to the reptile brain, right? Fear, uh, distrust, fanaticism, dissonance. Those things won't change as long as we're biological entities. Um, and they get amplified by those tools. But on the other side, there are helpers, people who are cautiously optimistic about the future who are saying this is not good enough. And those voices have certainly, at least in the past, even the past couple of weeks, I think, past couple of months particularly, um, have said, no, that's not okay. 
that's not okay. So there's equal equal hands on the microphone. And I think that those two things will always tug at each other because it's just the nature of humanity to to go through these things. But, you know, maybe you guys shouldn't have taken all the toilet paper. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's like when I, when I see shit like that, I'm like, Ooh, the reptile brain is alive. It's alive. <laughs> like all logic has just Crazy. taken a giant dog shit Crazy. and gone out the door. Um, and so like, I, I definitely, I feel like there's, there's potentiality for both things. And, and I'm sure a thousand years from now, if we were even on this, this rock mm-hmm. in the sky, a thousand years from now, we, we've earned the right to, <laughs> to exist and not destroy ourselves, which we're so good at. Um, yeah. I think that it would be great to see that better version. I sure would consciously be. optimistic. You ha- you have to be to yeah, see alive. I- I think so. I think I'm definitely optimistic about it, but it's an interesting time. We'll see where things go. We're, we're heading down, uh, a track that's going straight downhill until, uh, November here into an interesting, very interesting time. I mean, extremely interesting. And then to the end of the year and our reflections of how very, uh, interesting this whole year has been, but, uh, I thank you so much for your time, Brandy. Oh, thank Uh, you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, a lot of insight, a lot of passion, a lot of energy, and uh, I think it was uh, excellent to listen to and just hear your thoughts. So thank you so much for your time. All right. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Take care. got it. So let me ask you something. How do you get your news? Because I know you want to stay informed with what's going on here in the world. There's so much going on on a regular basis, and it's something that's been a problem for me personally. And I've been searching and searching and searching. And finally, I found a news source that I think all of my listeners are going to love. It's called The Donut, or The Dose of News Useful Today. The founder and CEO, Peter Nowak, is a good friend of mine. And when he turned me on to it, I was just blown away. Finally, a daily news source that delivers succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences. And it's an easy access to finding things that you just want to get information about. And it also serves up a lot of positive news stories that you won't hear anywhere else. It's your daily reminder that there is good in the world, even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. So get the donut, stay informed. It's 100% free. You can unsubscribe anytime. Visit thedonut.co or text donut to 66866 to sign up today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone.